listeners, we are so glad that you continue to tune in to hear from some incredible people. This is our first episode of 2020, and we are excited to share new stories with you and a couple of new additions to the format. Stick around after the interview with Amy Duong Kim for our first installment of One Degree Hotter. We've invited sisters to share their experiences and tips as they've navigated an advanced academic degree. Perhaps one of your New Year's resolutions is to save up to own property. I know for me, I'm constantly poking around on sites like Zillow. Whether that's the case or not, I'm fortunate to speak to Amy Duong Kim, so let's get right into it. All right. So in that case, we will jump right into it. Perfect. Uh, So Amy, I'm so glad that you were able to take the time to be able to speak to me right before the holidays. Things are very busy around this time of year, but um, based off of what I've read about you, it seems like you're probably busy all the time. And with that said, I was hoping that you would be able to just share a brief introduction of yourself, what you do, where you went to school, or anything else that you would like to share with our listeners. Sure, sure. And thank you so much for having me. I'm Duong Kim. I um, am an alumna of University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. I am a charter uh, for the Upsilon chapter. And we had crossed spring 2000. All right. Very nice. And where are you based out of right now? I live in Chicago. Um, after graduating, we just moved. Uh, we, I always say that because uh, I have a twin sister. So, um, oh. but I, I guess I should say I, I moved to Chicago. Um, <laughs> and where I met my husband and now we have three children. And we, now we, we work in Chicago. Um, and we do uh, the West Suburbs as well. So we live actually in Hinsdale, a small oh, town very in nice. Hinsdale. Do you have a favorite thing about Chicago or Chicagoland? Um, I mean, the people, you know, just yeah. <laughs> I'm born and raised in, in the Midwest. So I do love the people in the Midwest. I do not like the weather in the Midwest. <laughs> but, yeah, I can again. Yeah, but the people are great, so. Yeah, I uh, used to work at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, so I remember the negative 10-degree weather and Portillo's and going through the Chicago airport and um, had found, or remember it very fondly. Yes. Oh, yes. I mean, Chicago's a great city. The food's great. People are nice. Um, There's so much culture. I I just took my kids to the Nutcracker uh, in the city, the Joffrey Ballet, and it was amazing. So you, there's lots of fantastic things about Chicago. The only oh. negative thing is our winters. So, yes. <laughs> oh, well, I am so glad to be able to talk to you. And Amy was nominated by another sister and wanting to just learn more about her story. So I'm really excited that we are picking up sisters are nominating sisters, different life experience, different career trajectories, and day-to-day lifestyles. Uh, So Amy had actually left the corporate world after studying actuarial consulting in order to pursue a career in real estate, which is where she's really been able to build her brand. Um, In the episode, 
there will be a biography that's accompanied sharing a little bit more about your various different accolades, but um, some of them include uh, being from the Chicago Association of Realtors, uh, five-star reviews on Yelp, LinkedIn, Zillow, Angie's List, uh, and featured in many other publications, including uh, winning two Chicago Agents Who's Who's Awards, which is very, very cool, and a whole slew of other different publications and online resources. So with that said, um, you you live in the real estate world. Do you personally have your own favorite aesthetic when it comes to decorating or managing your own house? Well, I do have three kids, so my house is currently <laughs> messy. I actually am a minimalist, but that is impossible to do, as now we found out from Marie Kondo that, uh, is that her name? The, the um <laughs> The minimalist woman, she had even yes. said it's impossible to do it with children. But I like nice and clean. Um, I tend to uh, gravitate towards transitional because I do think that a little bit of traditional, or, or sorry, transitional, but a little traditional um, really plays well with some contemporary stuff. When you, you go a little bit modern, I personally feel like it's a little too cold. Um mm-hmm. But so I like the transitional stuff. Uh, but I, I really, as long I appreciate actually all aesthetics. Um, I was in a hundred-year-old graystone, and I and I loved that too. Uh, the woodwork was amazing and gorgeous. It really just as long as it's good as it's the as long as it's good work, I really, I really respect it and appreciate it. Oh, I love that. And I had gone through my own research and buying process last year around this time. So I know a lot of sisters are considering this next step, very large step, requires a lot of attention, time, money for sure. Um, So that's why I'm also really interested in just learning from you, an expert, someone who is part of a team who has closed over $500 million worth of real estate that we are very Um, blessed to be able to learn from you today. Um, So going back to where you had started in a career in real estate, what had inspired or encouraged you to take this leap from corporate world into this entirely new different industry? You know, it's so funny that you say that because I think that when you watch real estate shows now, like Million Dollar Listing, or H- even HDTV, it seems like a very fun and um, fun and desirable job. But back mm-hmm. when I started 15 years ago, um, I wouldn't say that it had any type of reputation like that at all. <laughs> I think that back really? 15 years ago, uh, it, I would say that it was similar to a used car salesman. So um, really, truly, I just didn't want to be in the corporate world. I felt like I was continuing to hit ceilings. Um, and, you know, this is being a, honestly being an ignorant, young and immature Uh, 20-year-old where I thought that I should have excelled faster in the corporate ladder. Um, Mm. So I do think that it actually turned out great in the sense that I felt like I would, there would be a point where I hit the ceiling of the corporate world and I couldn't go 
further, even though I thought I deserved it. So I wanted to make my own destiny. And by doing that was um, going into my own business, essentially. It didn't have to be necessarily real estate, but it just had to be my own. So where I was my own boss, where if I did a crappy job, then it was on me that I did a crappy job. If I excelled and I continued to excel, then really the sky is the limit in what what we could do with our business. So, um, so that's kind of where it all started. You know, when I first started, I had no expectations of doing any of the business that we were getting or where we're at right now. I just wanted to sell one deal a week, uh, one deal a month. That was my goal. (laughs) Um, And then, and then it kind of, you know, it, it uh, just grew it grew organically. It grew by word of mouth. It grew from Yelp. It grew um, through the uh, our network, um, our sphere of influence. So mm-hmm. yeah, and we're here today after 15 years and helping at least at least six or seven hundred people in finding their home, which has been very rewarding. Wow. Yeah. And I love that, right? Like, I I feel like there's always an idea bubbling in my own brain. And, you know, I talk to other people and they want to do something or they want to make an idea come to life. They want to be their own boss. A lot Mm -hmm. of what you just said resonates, but was there anyone who, or a story or an instance that really pushed you to be able to do that? Uh, Because, right, like getting something from a concept to actually action seems like such a difficult ordeal it is a difficult ordeal um and that's probably the difference between people who are able to do it and people who are not i I wouldn't say this process has been a cakewalk it still continues not to be um i typically work um i don't know anywhere between 70 to 90 hours a week i uh grit is a definition that i that that's like my motto in in working is working in that way um and the I've always since the day one have had this motto as well for uh every single deal that I do is as long as I treat every deal like it's my own I know I'm not going to do a bad job so Mm -hmm. um so it, it is a daunting task um even today uh we're doing a so I typically do my business planning for the next year, starting late October till the end of the year. So we're finishing up our business planning and, and getting it ready for uh, Jan- January 2, uh, January 2nd. So uh, in doing that, you know, even this whole business planning, it's really breaking down a big idea into little steps. So it is manageable. So it isn't so daunting. So um uh, that's what I would suggest to anyone who's deciding on uh, what they'd like to do. Um, one of one of my friends uh, wanted to start a food product. I have would have no idea how to start that. Um, but, you know, <laughs> you break it down, and he didn't know either. Um, and I'm actually having uh, breakfast with somebody tomorrow who owns a brewing company. I would have no ah. idea how to do that, and um, and he didn't know either. And, uh, and then you just figure it out. So you just take little steps to get to your end goal. And I think having a mission statement really helps too. What, you know, what, what is your goal? If you continue to remember, remind yourself of what that goal is, then it's, it's, it's helpful to focus. 
Yeah, no, I think that's so key to be one laser focused, even though the the path is probably going to be incredibly windy. And I, I love that you brought up grit because I'm such a huge fan of Angela Duckworth and mm-hmm. all the work that she's done around grit lab and being able to just make tasks more digestible or and explore resilience. So mm-hmm. um, something that I would definitely offer and encourage others who are listening to explore a little bit more as well. Um, is there a particularly closing or particularly memorable story that you have about a closing or a favorite client that you've had in all of your 15 years of experience? Oh, yeah, I have. I mean, I have lots of crazy stories. (laughs) I don't even know where to start on that scenario uh, on that question. I mean, I've had a tree fall on a house before closing. Um, I, I, I don't know. I have lots of crazy stories, but uh, we, you know, I, I, I would say, especially with the power of the internet, um, mm-hmm. and if anybody looks us up and re- reads our reviews or even goes to our website, even goes to our website or goes to our Instagram, um, it's either Duong Kim Global or DuongKimGroup.com. Uh, they, I think that you have a sense of who I am and who we are, and we, I mean, we have a we have a team of agents, but I, I, we, I very rarely do we have clients who are not very similar to us because I always tell people that I meet, you should just work with whomever you feel the most comfortable with. You are buying the most expensive thing in your life, uh, whether right, right. it's two hundred thousand dollars or three million dollars. It is to that person it is the most expensive thing that you're going to be buying so whether you use me or not I would rather you use someone who you feel the most comfortable with and with that advice I think for the most part my clients are very similar to me in a lot of ways because my my video on my website really just shares the story of kind of who we are and who I am and how we work Um, my reviews from other people say exactly how I work um so they usually read that and then they know if they want to work with us or not and and, yeah. and, and that I usually like them too yeah. they, tend, they tend to be very similar <laughs> Down no, to earth, I, you, know, you know straightforward um it just I mean the, I had clients this morning that I took out that were hilarious and I can't wait to you know go out to dinner with them <laughs> after everything's done because they're exactly like a, like my husband and I Right. Oh, I love that. And I imagine fit is so important just in, in every relationship, but especially in the home buying process too. And I am glad you tied in, like, these are the characteristics and qualities that are important to me. And hopefully they're important to you. And that's what will make us a good match. Do you feel like um, in talking about the mission statement and keeping very focused, do you feel like your own company's mission statement or own personal mission statement has um, evolved throughout the times as well? Um, you know, I think like you had mentioned, entrepreneurship, owning your own business is a windy road. I think that there have been times where I actually have tried to adjust it um, in, in the fact of trying to adapt to new technology or new ways of working, um, things like that. But ultimately, uh, 
personally, and, and it, honestly, it really depends on which industry and which service or which pro- uh, product you decide to provide. But mm-hmm. for me, I, I think going back to how it all started, really, um, it was the best way for us. I mean, I I was trying to do all these crazy marketing things before in the last two or three years. And, and you know, ultimately, I think I, I and I decided to not do anything like that anymore and just focus on the people that I've worked with before and, um, and have that referral network that way. So mm-hmm. it's been, it's been great. So we, we have no complaints. Oh, great. And building the brand, the profile marketing is something that I see very clearly in all of the information that you have in the public sphere. Mm-hmm. And my next question to you is how does one begin to even build that it seems so seamless from the outside I'm sure it took a lot of just um, standardization and something that really stood out to me from your Instagram is that you even have really good quotes Um, for example if everything seems under control you're not going fast enough another one that I saw was perseverance is failing 19 times and succeeding the 20th is this all part of your company's brand or your own personal online presence um, no, just our own personal uh, on, on online presence. I well, the thing about if anybody wants to get into this business, uh, which I think it's there's several things that people don't understand about being a realtor unless you are one. It, but one of them is that you do have to share a part of you, a, a big part of you, to. Uh, to the world because they need to know who you are to trust you with such a huge transaction. So, um, and I do love working hard and working and and seeing results in my work. So um, I, you know, I, I personally, I don't have a coach um, mainly because I, I don't really feel like I need one, but I do do a lot of, I guess it's self-help, but um, I do try to um, make my life more efficient um, and align my life. So I am still there for my children um, and my husband, but yeah. for my clients and for my work as well. Um, a work is a really big part of my life that I didn't want it to be let go when I did have children. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, you know, just getting everything in line uh, is, is really the key for me. Um and the branding part, you know, again, this is, if you, if you looked at all my stuff, like even I would say 10 years ago when I was five years in the business, it, it probably looked like a hot mess, but you know, um, is it's just really, I, I want to provide a certain level of professionalism. And I think that this is what you need to do to do that. So it's important to me to, uh, my first interview with anyone is on the internet. So it really, you, you have to put your best foot forward in every space. That's LinkedIn, that's Instagram. I don't do Twitter, but if you do do Twitter, um, Instagram, Facebook, and, um, and your website. Yeah, I feel like that balance of incredible, impeccable professionalism and the relatability. This is still a human person who... Mm-hmm you're trusting with this huge decision in your life is so important. Um, And something that's really just 
applicable in every single, not even just workspace, but for every single individual out there. So um, I'm so glad to hear that, you know, it ebbs and flows and, um, you know, uh, eventually you kind of circle back to yourself because it is a reflection of yourself. So that's a little bit of a relief as well. You know, I do have a luxury in that I can put myself out there and people can either take it or leave it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe when I first started, it wasn't that case. You know, maybe uh, I would have to think about how everything looked before. But, you know, this is this is what I want to present to the world. This is how I want to show how we work. So, um, and, you know, whether people like it or not, usually, usually people do, I think. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, I guess I don't even know if it's not working or not because the only people who are calling me are the people who want to use me. So <laughs> I don't know well, what other people who are saying that choose not to, choose not to use me. So yeah. <laughs> something is definitely, definitely working. Um, and now to just transition into the more practical side of things. I know in the past we've offered workshops on uh, house buying and what can sisters or any listeners take away of, are there just general tips, first initial steps uh, that you're able to offer as people begin to think about investing in a property? Um, I would say, well, so uh, I, I liked what you had said about, um, you know, there's still human, there's still a personal side to real estate, because now there are a lot of opportunities for, uh, you know, just putting an offer in instantly or an iBuyer situation where you just buy it off the internet. Um, and really just a lot of, uh, in my mind, a lot of noise to avoid using a realtor. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I would not go to a mechanic to get my fee- my my teeth fixed. I would go to a dentist. And yeah. again, this being the most expensive thing that you're going to be buying, I don't. I personally do not understand why people wouldn't want to use a realtor. So people have always asked me, "Oh, can you give me uh, a discount?" Or you're making so much money off this deal. But ultimately, the goal is that. I'm, and I'm educating you that the, these are the two things. My, my job isn't really to show you homes, actually. My uh-huh. job is to educate you on, if you on what you're buying and hopefully reselling it at a higher price and mm-hmm. negotiating for you on getting the best price possible for this property. Those are the, that's actually the two things any good realtor should be doing, not, not opening doors. The, it it mm-hmm. really should be educating and negotiating. So, my suggestion first off is is not actually to look at any houses if you're interested in buying a place, but to find someone that you find someone that is going to do that for you um, mm. in, in your area. So and if anybody needs any assistance, I, I mean, I have there's a Katie Fi that's in in Florida. That's awesome. And um, I, I don't think there's a Katie Fi in in L.A., but I have a fantastic realtor. I know. There's one in, in Vegas that lots of people have been talking to. So, you know, it's just you, you reach out to your sphere, reach out to friends, reach out, just even find on the Internet and even read reviews um, if you don't know anybody. But 
I right. would say that's the first thing anyone should do is find a realtor that they trust. Yeah. Yeah, that they trust is so important because, I mean, you, you hop onto an app, they connect you with five random people, and uh, they, they could be helpful, but ultimately, it, it really is being able to trust them. Are there certain questions or things that people should look out for as they continue on in this process? Hmm. Um, I think... That's a good question. I think Jen just, I think first impressions and what of how you feel about that person, if you feel that person is trustworthy, if you feel like they have the best interests, your best interests in mind, um, and not really just like chasing the check at the end. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if there's necessarily a question that you can ask that is like a, like a, that would give you a clear indication. It's really just sitting down with that person and seeing if they are, are just a good person. So, right. um, I mean, you, of course you want them to be competent and knowledgeable. So I suppose in that sense, you can see what their experience is like um, in terms of how many years they've been doing it. Personally, um, I would say anybody with, if if they're not on a team, if they're solo, I I I would suggest someone who has at least five years of experience. But the, if they are on a team, um, I know that you're always going to have the team lead making sure that everything's okay with the transaction, um, and how many deals they've done or how many deals have their has their team done, and uh, knowing their stats. And you could do that beforehand. You don't necessarily have to ask those questions, but. Um, I would say having experience is very, very helpful. Okay. So stats in in this industry and being able to see what people are putting out there online is actually, in fact, very important. Mm -hmm. Uh, As a potential home buyer going into meeting someone or embarking on looking at homes, should they have, like, if it were me, should I have a list of things that I'm not willing to or things that are non-negotiable for me? Are there things that I should start writing down, whether it's figurative or literal? So I'm going in with a a clear plan. Is there anything, any advice on for the home buyer? You know how many bedrooms and bathrooms you like if you need parking. And mainly it's going to come down to budget um, and and also location. I, I think if you have the main criteria then um, that's good enough. Uh, I, I, I do think it's important to, at least online, see what's all that's out there in your range um, and, and then pick and choose from there. You don't necessarily want to be too specific from the beginning because your search may adjust. And, you know, again, going back to the, the couple that I was helping this morning, they initially wanted this very characteristic older home they loved uh just having a unique space and ultimately they're going to be buying a new construction (laughs) that's completely different than what they started with right um you know so i i think that it's important to be adjustable and and be open-minded too any good realtor can should be able to walk into a space and figure out how to adjust it to that buyer if necessary. 
So meaning, you know, if there's a dark kitchen and, you know, oh, I hate this place because it has a dark kitchen and there's pale floors. Well, that's actually a very easy fix. And otherwise, the home is perfect. Uh, aesthetic things can be changed very easily. It just a, a, a good realtor should be able to help that visualization happen. That's great. And thank you so much be, for being able to give us all of that information. Some of it may be incredibly basic, but it is helpful for me even just hearing oh, it. No, nothing's basic. I mean, I do this every day, you know, I, that's the whole point of a realtor is that yeah. most people don't do this every day. So um, True. yeah, it, I, it's that none of it, none of this is basic. I mean, I break it down. I usually even when I go to submit an offer, I, I ask my clients to allot an hour and a half so we can go through the contract to make sure they know exactly what they're signing. So mm. because they don't, they don't know what they're signing. Like they don't know. They've never seen this contract before. So it, it, yeah, nothing is a basic question. Well, thank you. And Amy, it is so great to be able to hear from not only a founding member and senior broker at Compass, the company, but also a charter member at UIUC. So many um, different legacies that you've been able to leave. I, I want to be able to close out this interview and just asking, is there anything that you wish I had asked or anything else that you wanted to be able to share with listeners? No, I don't think so. I, I always want to, I, I suppose I just want to share my information. I'm sure the podcast can have it in the bio or whatever. Um, that anybody's, if they have any questions about real estate, so please do not hesitate to ask. I am happy, happy, happy to help any sisters. Um, I mean, I, I just helped someone in California. They wanted me to look at their inspection. And I had said, I don't know. We don't have earthquakes <laughs> in Chicago. <laughs> so uh, if I cannot answer, I will say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, everyone um, to fly you out for every cool and nice, warm, tropical location. <laughs> so, but yeah, and no thank you so much for having me I really appreciate it I'm always happy to help and any questions about entrepreneurship or real estate uh, I'm welcome to answer all right thanks Amy it's been a pleasure thank you very much And now that we've heard from Amy, we're so thrilled to introduce multiple voices in an episode. First up is Julie Polanka. Remember to send us your tips. We want to hear them all. My name is Julie Polanka. I crossed at Virginia Commonwealth University in the spring of 2012. I studied early and elementary education. I actually went through a five-year program um, for that major. At first, I wasn't going to, and I'm going to go into detail of why that is so and why I decided to apply for graduate school. Um, so I decided to apply for graduate school because, um, well, first off, I actually tried to avoid going into graduate school, um, and I did that by applying to Teach for America. And I applied to Teach for America 
because I was hoping that I could get tuition covered for graduate school by being a part of that program because someone told me that if you do time for them, they give you benefits. And that was like one of them. <clears throat> but once I actually got in, and I got into the Detroit Corps, by the way, I did more research of the benefits and I realized that it wasn't going to be easy to get the tuition covered. And some programs, they don't even really cover them. And, and surprisingly enough, the corps that I got into, um, the they were not going to cover tuition for the program that I wanted to go into, which was just education. And I was super surprised by that. Um, <clears throat> but on top of that, I had figured that, or I had realized, or really I discovered through my research that with Teach for America, you only get to stay at one school for two years, and then you end up getting moved somewhere else if you want to stay in the program longer. And I just didn't think that was fair. What's the point of being a teacher if you're just going to move to a different school and not create relationships with your students? So I just decided to go for it. One day, I, I just said I can no longer take the opportunity to be part of the, the Detroit Corps, and um, I actually applied to the graduate school portion of my five-year program, and, and you can choose to like not do the fifth year. You can just go through four years, get your bachelor's, but um, yeah, I decided to do the fifth year, and um, I, I met the deadline literally maybe like two days before. Um, I like hustled and bustled to get letters of recommendations and everything like that. It was it was definitely an interesting experience. Um, and the reason why I decided to get it is to meet the goals that I had for myself as a teacher. You know, I, I mentioned that, you know, what's the point of becoming a teacher only for two years at a certain school and then moving to a different school? You know, I'm definitely the kind of person that I want to build lasting relationships. Um, and, and I want... I'll go into detail about that later, but, um, you know, in a lot of states, you can't really receive your teaching license without a master's. If you want a salary increase, a master's can get you that. Depending on what state or county you teach in, the difference between holding a bachelor's to a master's, salary-wise, is at least 2000 And again, it just depends on where you go. Um, so I just wanted to... Um, explain more in, into why I decided not go not to not go into Teach for America and um, went into my my graduate program to get my teaching license. So, as I mentioned, when you go into Teach for America, you go into a school and you're only there for two years, um, which means that you only get to make two years worth of relationships and then you leave. Um, and the chances are of keeping those relationships outside of the school once you leave it are not high. So, um, you know, I got into teaching so that I could make lasting relationships, so that I could have students um, for years that could just come back to my classroom and visit me. And, uh, you know, I got a little bit of taste of that when I worked in Virginia, and I was sad to leave the school, but you know, you got to make moves for yourself. But um, in, in that school, you know, I made those relationships that I had wanted. I had students who came back to my classroom and were like, oh my gosh, I remember when that was me to, you know, my 
my current students at that time and, you know, trying to be a mentor to them and being like, don't get Miss Polanka upset because if you do, this is going to happen. Or, um, you know, Miss Polanka really loves this. So if you give her this, you know, she's going to love you forever. And it's just little things like that, that, you know, make me smile because it, it truly shows that the students really pay attention to you. And I think a lot of people know that teaching is the most rewarding career because you get to work with students that are always with you and, um, and, and they like always truly, always want to show you that they care and love about you no matter where they're at in their life. And I also got into teaching because it's not just about the students. It's also about the, the families and you as a teacher can really make a difference in a, in a family's life. Like one, one thing that, um, I, I do as a teacher is that I make it a point to have a really good relationship with all my parents. Maybe in like my, my first year, I didn't do such a great job because I came so late in the year, but I definitely my second year, I was confident in the relationships I made with my, with my families because, um, there was a situation where things were going on in the household and the parent was comfortable enough to come to me and to explain things. Um, and she saw me as someone to help her protect her kids. And I just thought that was really important that you have to have that relationship with parents so that you know what's going on in, in the household and you understand what's affecting this child um, and the family. Um, and you're also there to support them. That's a really big part of being a teacher, being able to support families and whatever they're going through. So yeah, that's why I, I chose to get my, my master's and my teaching license. Without that master's, I wouldn't have gotten my teaching license and I wouldn't have been able to pick a school um, where I could stay forever and have those relationships. Something that I wish I knew now, I mean, something that I wish I knew back then that I know now is that when you go into the very last semester of your teaching program, you must do an unpaid full-time internship as a student teacher. The program makes you quit your job or encourages you to focus um, to only focus on being in the classroom with no outside obligations. And when I tried to do to like hustle on the side because I'm known for that, I'm known for doing five million jobs at once. I found myself stressed out more than my other classmates because my work workload is really heavy. So that actually leads me to um, one of my future goals, which is to advocate for future educators so that if they do a program like this, they can at least receive a living stipend. We, we shouldn't have to sacrifice money just to fulfill our passions in life, especially teaching. Teaching is so important, but yet we don't treat our teachers like it's an important career. Um, and, that, and that's another reason why people kind of trail away from teaching programs because they know, they, they do all this research, like, um, I guess I didn't, and, um, and, and they realize that you have to go one year without working, and, and people are like, no, you know, because you have bills to pay, you probably have rent that you have to, like, pay for, or a mortgage, you know, there's, like, we're adults, we have things we have to pay for, and it's just not fair. Um, a tip that I would give to someone is to do a lot of research about the program you're interested in. Figure out if it's like really worth it to get it for um, your field or what you specifically want to study. Um, and think about how it's going to benefit your future career and your personal goals. 
because it really takes a lot of time, energy, and money. And no matter what you study, it, it's hard. Um, so make sure it's something that you really need or want. My fondest memory of graduate school, um, so in like teaching programs, you get really close with your cohort. You suffer together and you experience some really great moments together. It's almost like going through the new member process together. Um, but on the last day of actual class for my cohort, um, we all decided to take a group picture and then we went out to a local Mexican restaurant and like, mind you, there was like 50 of us. So they had to get us like our own room and it was nice cause we could just focus on each other and it was a really good time. And I'll never forget the way that people really made me feel. And I think that's like my fondest memory. Um, I, I really, and truly had a supportive cohort and, um, that I could rely on throughout my time in my program. And it's really important to have that. Um, because you, you really do go through so much and you need people to vent to, um, people that you can trust or, you know, people who can give you reliable advice as well. Something that really challenged me during my time in graduate school was this math class that I took. I mean, it was just straight up gibberish to me. I mean, first of all, I'm not even a math whiz and math was a subject that I struggled with the most as a child. And I don't even remember what that class was called, but my professor had us doing the most. I mean, he was like, I just don't understand him till this day. But one topic we had to discover, or we had to cover, um, was um, incorporating social justice in math. And I, I just never really understood that assignment because um, I guess it was to show like the disparities in the community um, by putting it into a math problem without like the kids really noticing that you're talking about the issues in the community. Um, but again, I really did not understand that assignment. And when I did it, I thought I did it the way he wanted it to be done, but I guess I didn't do it right because when I got my grade back, it was not what I expected. Um, and my whole time in that class was pretty much like that. I just didn't know what the heck I was doing. Um, and at the time, um, the Justin Bieber song, What Do You Mean, was uh, really popular. So um, my classmates and I made a, a meme of Justin Bieber holding, holding up that sign that says, What Do You Mean? So every single time um, our math professor would say something, somebody would send that in like the group chat and everyone would be checking their phone and would be cracking up, but like silently cracking up. So I guess that's also like another fond memory of my graduate school experience because like we had those moments where we could just kind of laugh at our struggles. My graduation day was in the winter and I wasn't even really excited for it because I ended up getting hired prior to graduating. Um, I was an early hire and I mean, it was, I was really excited about that, but um, because I had got hired early, it didn't really make me feel that excited about graduation because Right after it, I just had to go right back to work. Um, but it was more exciting for my family, and that was what mattered to me um, at the time. And the first step, I would say, to get started is to do your research and analyze your life. Are you at a place where you can handle this course load? Because I'm telling you, any master's program you do or any higher education that you do, the course load is tremendous. It's like having two jobs in one almost, um, part-time jobs in one. So it's like a really big full-time job. Um, and do your research. Do you really need to do this? Some people go and get masters in things that they really don't need. Like sometimes I feel like maybe I didn't need a master's in education, but 
the the um the pedag pedagogical oh my gosh am I even saying that word right but the uh, pedagogical approaches that I learned in my program really did help me become a better teacher like I'm I'm able to think outside the box and and critically think about things that people who did not go through my program could not do so you know definitely do your research and and see if it's worth that time money and energy As always, thank you so much for listening. Remember to nominate sisters who you want to hear from by emailing secretary at akdfialum.org. Again, that is secretary at akdfialum.org.